You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned afterward for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Good morning. My name is Galen Washington. I serve as one of the elders here alongside Dr. John Lloyd and Morgan Stevens. And um, obviously Morgan and uh, Carrie are not here today. We uh, have a special guest speaker here. Actually, he's not a guest, he's family. This is Doug White. Now, I've been given a minute to introduce this man and I'm gonna do my best to be obedient um, and not go for five hours because I could talk all day about this guy. Doug, uh, he leads or facilitates uh, L215, which is a a leadership training and development program that Mosaic Church runs. And basically it's rooted in uh, 2 Timothy uh, 2.15. And the idea is uh, training leaders how to rightly divide the word of truth. And um, Simone and I were sitting back last night just kind of calculating how many hours uh, Doug has, has given as a volunteer leader in this church working in the trenches, helping to develop leaders, helping to uh, form biblical worldviews in people's hearts and minds um, through this program. And Simone, in her brilliant mathematical mind, she said it's about 3,000 hours over the five years that he's been doing this. And I just wanna, I wanna look at sweet, sweet Natalia and say thank you. Thank you for lending and really being the force behind this man. I mean, he and I spoke about so much of what he gets to do, but he pointed you out and said, you know, don't, don't you forget my wife. And so Natalia, thank you for lending your, your husband to us. Thank you so much. In this house, we believe in giving honor where honor is due. I would love for y'all to join me in standing and, and welcoming Doug to the stage. Well, good morning, Mosaic. So first of all, like you heard, I do teach Leadership 215. I love the community that Leadership 215 creates. And I would love if you would sign up for our next Leadership 215 cohort when Leadership 215 comes to a classroom near you in 2024. Yeah, I wanna say thank you really quickly to Pastor Morgan, who's on vacation, for giving me the opportunity to close out this series on Ephesians. I'm super excited. So let's just jump right into scripture here. Um, Our scripture reading for today is Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, 
that whenever I speak words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, this is a fairly famous passage for many of us, and it is especially famous for what it discusses, which is what Christians call spiritual warfare. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, I know the term may be either new for some of us, it may be strange for some of us, possibly even misapplied for some of us. So before we get into what spiritual warfare looks like, allow me to share four things this passage is not, all right? Now, when I was seven or eight years old, I was second, third grade, both of my parents were extremely hard workers. My dad was working in carpentry full-time. My mom was working the night shift at a plant. So my mom would sleep all day. She'd wake up and she'd come pick me up from school. Except there was a few times when the alarm didn't go off or she forgot to set the alarm and no one came to pick me up. And my mother, she was in first service, is still upset about this today, okay? Now, my grandparents only lived about a block from where I went to elementary school. So I just walked down there to their house take the hidden key. I'm not going to tell you where it is because it's probably still there 35 years later. And I would go inside and use the landline. Yes, I didn't have a cell phone. But that day, the door was locked, no grandparents in sight, and no key. So I decided, okay, I'm going to go to the, to the backyard, go through the backyard, and open the back door. Maybe it'll be unlocked. Now, For those of you that might not know what it looks like to be in a little town in Southwest Texas, backyards look like farms. You had either chickens, you might have um, different birds, you definitely had gardens. And depending on what season it was, there'd be different creatures. So when I walked through the backyard that day, with zero awareness, I closed the gate behind me to see what's gonna be on your screen, That's right, a billy goat. And I want you to know the billy goat to me looked like Godzilla, I'm a little guy. And when I look back on it, I think, at first I was afraid, I was petrified. And I'm like, seriously, I didn't know if I was gonna survive. But I was in its territory now, okay? And it started to move its leg to charge. I'm not kidding you, it's just not in TV shows. And all that was beside me fortunately, was this silver like steel trash can. It's going to be on the screen in case you've never seen one. I took this lid and braced myself and used it as a shield. This goat rammed the shield. I screamed like a seven or eight year old would for help, but no one came. In that moment, I decided, okay, quick thinking, I'm going to run around it the next time it charges and I'm going to get to the back door and I'm going to see if it's unlocked. So that's what I did. It charged a second time. I ran around it To gain speed, I dropped my shield halfway to the back door. Don't do that. I got to the back door, it was locked. I turned around, the goat had come to the middle of the backyard and was starting to do its foot again to charge. I scream louder. And then what happens is, is there's only a bouncy, medium-sized bouncy ball beside me. I pick the bouncy ball up, put it between me and the goat. It charges, it hits the bouncy ball. I fall on my bottom, I scream again, And all of a sudden, my grandmother's body comes between me and the billy goat. She looks at the billy goat first and says, back away, get away. Sometimes we need to talk to the enemy. And then then she picks me up off the ground, opens the back door, ushers me in. 
I'm traumatized, honestly, and I begin to cry. She kneels down, wraps her arms around me and says, everything is going to be okay. And I'm going to tell you, I'm very thankful that she showed up when she did. But here's what I learned from that story. Just like I learned doing battle with that goat, this passage is not telling us to be strong in and of ourselves. I was not strong enough to take on that billy goat. And I'm going to tell you, nor am I strong enough to go through this life apart from Jesus. Paul writes, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, not be strong in yourself and in your mighty power. You know, too often we grasp for trash can lids or for bouncy balls like I did. Anything or anyone that we can grab a hold of to help us solve our struggles and our problems instead of first coming to the Lord. We are not to be strong in our own power, but to be strong in his power. Second, this passage is not saying people never give us problems. <laughs> Verse 11 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Is not saying we never struggle against flesh and blood. Now the apostle Paul in his second letter to Timothy said this, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. Now, I'm not going to get into what scholars think and their thoughts are on what Alexander had done to Paul, but what Paul is simply saying is people hurt us. People cause us real pain. This passage is not saying that we do not wrestle and struggle at times with people, but above and beyond them, there is an enemy much greater that we struggle against. And this leads us into the next statement. This passage is not to be overly spiritualized. C.S. Lewis said it this way. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hell a materialist and a magician with the same delight. Now let me break this down. A materialist is the one who believes that everything can be explained away by natural causes, while the magician believes that everything happened has a spiritual cause. C.S. Lewis is saying we need a balanced approach, okay? The devil is very real, and there is a spirit realm in which we war in battle. Almost all of us believe in a personal, supernatural being we call God. Why would it be illogical to believe in the existence of evil supernatural beings? After all, most of the rest of the world does. However, we must be careful not to be guilty of over-spiritualizing every circumstance in our lives and thus give the enemy all of our attention. I find it safe to say that quite often, the circumstances we face in our lives are by our own doing and decision-making yet we tend to blame the devil when what we should be doing is examining our heart, our motives, and our actions. Fourth, this passage is not only about portraying a soldier in God's army. Now, I've heard some powerful message on, on, on the armor of God. In most messages that I've heard, the passage ends with, we're in the army of God, covered in the armor, and we're ready to go to battle. A picture of a spiritual kind of soldier now, although there is truth in this for sure, Paul is also pulling from the Old Testament, most notably from Isaiah 59, 
where we get the picture of Isaiah's divine mighty warrior, which is a picture of the future Messiah, that is Jesus, putting on righteousness as his breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Once again, Paul is saying that our strength is found in Christ, who is the true strong one. So my hope is that you leave this message today with a different image than that of a spiritual soldier. But the image of you being clothed by and in Christ and living out the image of the divine mighty warrior, Jesus, our savior. Okay, all right, there we go. That's four things this passage is not. Now we're gonna look at three questions to help us explain what this passage is about. And our three questions are gonna be, what does it look like to stand? Who are we standing against? And what are we called to stand in? So what does it look like to stand? Verses 10, 11, and 13 say, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. Stand is an action word. It requires us to do something. In the Greek, stand means to continue, to resist, to endure, to persist. The life of a Christian is not easy. The life of a Christian is one of, of a continual struggle and wrestling and perseverance and prayer, sacrifice and obedience. So the standing that God calls us to is a stance that we live out every single day. In October, 2019, um, we suddenly lost our family business. And for the next 10 months, I was unemployed. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the devil closed us down. But I do believe that he had a part to play and so did people. And as we know, one choice can bring devastation. And during those two months, what I wanna focus on is what the enemy did after. See, he would attack our minds and our hearts and our emotions with thoughts of shame and disappointment. And this is what he'd say. <clears throat> now, what are you going to do? You're a failure. How are you going to now provide for your children? You aren't smart enough. Everyone applying for these jobs is more qualified and has more experience than you do. What are you gonna do? See, the enemy did not want us to stand. He wanted us to walk defeated. He's a liar. Standing is not a self-reliance, but a dependence on our God. It is through our relationship with God and our identity in him that we are strengthened to resist the attack of the enemy and his emissaries. We weaken ourselves that we may be strong and firm in his power. He is our firm foundation, the rock on which we stand. He is faithful through generations and his love never fails. Complete dependence on God is countercultural to our Western society, amen? Our Western society thrives on being independent, being individualistic, having a me first mentality, but we're called to an upside down kingdom. We are called to a place of complete dependence, not in and of ourselves, but in his mighty power. 
And this leads us to who are we standing against? So see, Paul here is helping the church to recognize the real enemy of their soul. Verse 11 says, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. As I said before, the greater enemy is not people. And Paul knew that in the first century church, and specifically the Ephesus church itself, faced the challenge of unity among Jew and Gentile. Paul was pivoting their attention and even discomfort with one another to the much greater enemy, the enemy of their soul. So what does he do? He calls them to stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 12 goes on to say, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So I wanna bring a little bit more context here. So the Ephesus church at this time was living in the shadow of the goddess Artemis, okay? She was known as the goddess of childbirth and hunting. Now the temple of Artemis brought great wealth to the people in Ephesus, and it was regarded as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Many scholars believe that Paul is identifying Artemis here as part of the devil's kingdom, a demonic false god embedded in the culture around this Ephesus church, a church called to stand against the very wickedness that Artemis represents. Fascinating enough, does anyone know Artemis's weapon of choice? Yes, that's right. She was known as the bow hunter. Her weapon of choice was the bow and arrow. I find it interesting how Paul says that the shield of faith will extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. I believe Paul was speaking directly to the cultural context that was trying to overwhelm the church. See, Paul recognized that the unity between Jews and Gentiles would help them stand against the greater enemy, the spiritual enemy of that very culture. Paul is showing them that their fight is not against one another or against Roman rule or against the local civic rulers who would try to oppose them or bring them harm, but their fight was against the influences and the powers of this dark world behind those Roman governing bodies. There is an enemy we cannot always see. The devil and demonic forces are real. But it is a lie from the enemy to think that their power is greater than the power on which we stand. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? I can step into spiritual warfare for my brothers, for my sisters in Christ, for myself, for my family, because on the power on which I stand is in Christ Jesus. And that leads us to the third question. What are we called to stand in? And we're called to stand in the armor of God. It is not just about putting on the armor of God, but about living out what the armor represents. Do you hear me? I'm gonna say it again. It is not just about putting on the armor of God, but about living out what the armor represents. In Ephesians chapter four, chapter five, and a start of six, Paul is urging the church to display Christ and be his image bearers by living a life pleasing unto the Lord and engaging in the mission of the church. But this is not easy because there are supernatural strongholds that continuously form against us. Two favorite words in the Bible, but God. 
gives us the armor and weapons necessary to stand when entering into spiritual warfare. Remember, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for breaking down strongholds. The Greek used in this passage implies an aggressive stance against one's opponents. As believers, we are called to take both a defensive and offensive stance against the enemy. Each piece of armor is not only defensive, but also acts as a weapon. Now I wanna say a sermon series could be preached about what each of the six armor pieces actually represents. We don't got time for that. I'm only going to share you a snippet of the power associated with each. And the first weapon is truth. The belt or girdle, as it was called in the first century, was the piece that fastened together and held the rest of the armor in place. Without the truth, everything falls apart. This presents a question. How do you live out the truth if you do not know who the truth is? Only by knowing the truth of who Jesus is can we ever realize the truth of our identity in him and how to display his image. I have to stand since this is a standing sermon after all. Um, you know, when we think about truth, I, I wanna bring us to scripture a little bit and I want us to remember together who Jesus is. Scripture says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, a great and mighty God. He's the Prince of peace, counselor, and everlasting father. Do you hear me? He's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. He's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. He's Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. He's Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. He's Jehovah Nisi, the God, our banner. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first, the last, the starter, the finisher, the creator, sustainer, and author of all things. He is the lamb who was slain and he is the lion of Judah. Songs call him waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. He is the undefeated, undisputed champion of all eternity. And he calls us sons and daughters and friends. Jesus is the name above all names. He is who brings us stability and anchors us in the midst of the storm. He is who fastens all things together. He's our chief cornerstone. What a truth on which we stand. Amen? Now, righteousness, that was just truth. Okay, because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, this is exciting, we are found justified. The bondage of sin is broken. Death, hell, and the grave have no hold on us. We are more than conquerors. We are victorious because of Christ's death and resurrection. We can now come boldly before the throne of God and have personal relationship with our heavenly king. See, the breastplate not only covered the front of the soldier, but also the back. And I am very thankful that his righteousness, not my own, covers my front, my back, and all the way around me. And it's this covering that enables and empowers us to be image bearers. As Christ's image bearers, we are called to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This means we no longer live as the world does, but we give up our worldly passions to live a life of worship 
to Christ. This brings us to number three, the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And I love the word here that Paul uses, the word readiness. In the Greek, it means preparedness, willingness, alertness, promptness, and eagerness. This reminds me of when Paul said he was eager to preach the gospel to the Romans. We should be eager, fervent in spirit, which means boiling over to tell someone about the truth of who Jesus is. We aren't simply wearing, you know, Nikes and Adidas and Converse and Reeboks. We're wearing the readiness of the gospel on which many of us have already received and know is real and true. And this readiness should lead us to share the gospel to a world that needs God's transformative power and is seeking the peace that comes from the gospel message. We are called to be his hands and feet, ready and willing to stand. This leads us to faith. When you stand, you are standing with something. And what enables you to stand is faith. Faith turns fear into courage. Faith trusts in our King. Although we may not physically see the finished work that God is doing on our behalf, we know the Lord works behind the scenes, we have faith that God's promises never fail. Now, looking into the unknown and trusting in God without anxiety, stress, fear, and worry is one of the most difficult tensions that we live in as Christians. And I'm gonna tell you, the enemy tries to use the tactic of doubt against us all the time. Yet we are called to trust in the Lord and lean not on our own understanding but in all ways to acknowledge him and he will direct our paths. Faith is one of the greatest defenses against the enemy. That's why it's represented as a shield. Throughout the Old Testament, the shield was commonly used as a metaphor to describe God's power and protection over his people. Faith is one of the greatest gifts by which we receive grace and come into right relationship with God by grace, we have been saved through faith. That leads us to salvation. Now, I'm gonna tell you, I could go so many different directions here, a thousand different directions with salvation. But as I was preparing this message, the Lord just pointed me toward King David. And in Psalm 51, King David was going through quite possibly the most difficult time in his entire life. He had been confronted by the prophet Nathan, after committing both adultery and plotting murder, David even learned that his child was going to soon die. Now, I honestly cannot imagine the level of pain that David must have felt. I want you to see he was wrestling and he was struggling, as many of us do. He was in spiritual warfare. Within all this pain, here's what David said. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He's asking help to stand. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. See, in the midst of the pain, David prayed for the restoration of the joy of his salvation. And in this moment, David felt that his sin had somehow led him away and distanced from God. He had lost fellowship with Yahweh. David desired to regain the joy of being near the father. 
When I'm going through difficult seasons in my life, I I turn to the joy of my salvation. I am thankful for what Jesus has accomplished for me. I'm thankful that I breathe, that there's oxygen in the air. I'm so thankful for what he's accomplished that I am free for all eternity. That's who he is. And I'm so thankful because of our salvation, we know who we are. You hear me? Our salvation produces joy and the joy of the Lord is our strength. So salvation enables us to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now the sword of the spirit. We stand with the sword of the spirit, which is the very word of God. The word of God pierces through every lie, every tactic, every entrapment, every scheme that the enemy would try to try to cover us with. When we have the word of God on our lips, we have truth in our mouth. When we say I am victorious in Jesus' name, you are speaking truth. When the enemy says you have no value, you have no worth, you are insignificant, you have no place and you are unloved, we can come to him and say, I know who I am. I am the son, I am the daughter of the most high king. Allowing God's word to flow from your lips brings life to the hearer, causes brokenness to be restored turns hatred into love, turns anxiety into peace. And this is what we go to battle with, the sword of the spirit, the very word of God. What amazing weapons and armor pieces that we stand in. We are called to live out truth, righteousness, the readiness of the gospel, faith, salvation, and the word of God. Now, as we move toward the conclusion of this message and the final section of this passage, I wanna bring a little bit more context. See, here in the first century, as Paul pins this letter, he is about to face the greatest opportunity, some would say difficulty, I'm gonna say opportunity, of his Christian ministry. God was calling him to stand. To stand in Rome before Nero, known as the greatest persecutor of Christians in the first century, who looked to eradicate Christians and would place them up against wild beasts in the Colosseum to do just that. Paul was also going to stand in front of all the magistrates, those who administered Roman law, and he was going to defend himself against the charges brought upon him. Now, what I want you to see in these next verses is how he asks for prayer twice. Verse 18 through 20 says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert And always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. See, Paul recognizes to stand will require fearlessness. And at the heart of spiritual warfare is prayer. Paul does not present this as an additional weapon, but as a foundational and continuous activity that is crucial to living out the armor that enables us to stand. When we live out the armor of God, we do so in continual prayer. And prayer is relational. I have two children. One is seven and one is five. One's getting ready to go to third grade, the other kindergarten. Yes, help me, Jesus. And I want you to know that something that's very important to my wife and I 
is that both of them feel that they have the space to come and talk to us about anything. Our heart's desire is that our children feel loved, they feel valued, heard, and safe enough to confide in us about all the struggles and emotions that they have. Our heavenly father desires the same relationship with us. He desires that we talk with him about anything and everything, not just when we need something or when we wanna thank him, but in all things. He wants us to realize our value and our worth through his eyes. Do not make prayer too difficult. Just talk to him and do not forget to listen. Conversations go two ways and God desires to speak to us, each one of us on a very personal level. Now, I wanna end our time with a commission, with an instruction, something that requires action. So to live out the armor of God requires that we live as image bearers, that we would display Christ in our actions, our speech and our lives by putting Christ on, by being clothed in and by Christ. So if you wouldn't mind, please stand with me. Now, my challenge for all of us is to do what Paul said. So in in three specific ways. First, I challenge all of us to be alert, knowing that the enemy is looking to devour and is on the prowl like a lion, but also to be alert that he who is within you is greater than he who is within the world, all right? Number two, I want, I challenge all of us to pray without ceasing to build a deeper relationship with our heavenly father. And three, I challenge all of us to be fearlessly clothed in Christ, living out the armor of God. So in closing, please join me in a very powerful prayer known as the breastplate prayer, which is spoken by St. Patrick. So let us read this together. All right, on the screen. Lord, we pray Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, and Christ in every ear that hears me. In your mighty power, amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.